Blog Talk Radio. Hello, folks. This is Carl. It is, what is it? It is Sunday, the 26th of November, and uh, we are going to be for the next 90 minutes on the Blog Talk Radio here, Freedomizer Radio, to do our uh, Sunday afternoon uh, Bible study. Just bear with me. I'm getting settled in here. And uh, we are going to continue with our series, which will probably go to into maybe, I don't know, definitely in the next year. I don't know how long, but it's called The Cross of Christ. It's a series that to me is I'm not going to say it's more important than anything we've done, but there's nothing we've done that's more important than this. How does that sound? The cross of Christ is the central point of all our existence and the only reason we do exist. And that would be that our eternity, where we spend eternity, is going to be determined 100% by what we have done in our lifetime, in our will, with the cross of Christ. If it's just another religious exercise, uh, you might want to examine yourself. And uh, that's why I'm going to flood us with Scripture. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking uh, – bear with me here a minute. We've been talking the last couple of weeks, and – We've been using our co-host, Raven, and uh, she's been telling stories of uh, not just stories, but situations in her life, which I think affect a whole lot of people in the world today, and that is people who have been told by uh, false preachers and teachers, uh, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and devils, per 1 Timothy 4.1, Uh, of all the easy ways to salvation without the bold reality of explaining to the people and and having them totally understand that they are born into sin. There's nothing they have done. They are born without a spirit nature. And unless you repent of the condition you're born in and your religious works, Religious works are fine if they're a result of your salvation per Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, and Titus 2, 11, and uh, 14. But don't believe that you are going to be saved by faith have not been aware of the fact that you need a Savior. Preachers and teachers, and I can mention some very good ones. I'm not going to, because I'm not here to, uh, you know, necessarily uh, mention people's names, even though they're. Uh, I would be doing it in a, in a positive way. But lately, in the last, I'm going to say two to three months, I've heard the Christian radio uh, flooded with people that are Dr. David Jeremiah, probably the most high profile, talking about the necessity of repent, necessity of repent. And you have nothing to repent of if you're not at least brought up to uh, biblical literacy by either Ephesians chapter 2, let's say 1 through 15, 
at Romans chapter 5, 1 through 15. And I may be going a little bit more verses than necessary, but you must you must read these and you must understand and you must acknowledge that you are born into a state that is uh, doomed to the lake of fire for all eternity. Now, nobody goes to loses their soul. Nobody goes to the lake of fire for all eternity uh, for having been born into that um, spiritual death condition. We go into the lake of fire for all eternity by our choice when we determine that we do not need to acknowledge that we are sinners. We're not just victimized by Adam and Eve. We are willing sinners. We're born without a spirit nature. And we basically, and I'm I'm going to try and paraphrase it very simple. Anybody who has lost their soul has been a result of those who have not acknowledged the cross of Christ, acknowledged their need for it, or feel that they need it. And it's about as simple as I can say it. So this topic, the cross of Christ, is about as important as anything we'll talk about. Now, it is. It, it, in fact, I, it is the keystone. Without the acknowledgement that we are sinners, and again, I'll give you exactly the where it is. It's in, and I'm back here. Just bear with me. Romans chapter 5. You've got to read this. You've got to prayerfully accept it and understand it and repent uh, I want you to, if you would, read uh, verse 1, let's say through uh, 1 through 20. Read the whole chapter 5, all of chapter 5 of Romans, and then we'll go in here to Ephesians. Just bear with me. I'm trying to still mark my stuff that we're going to read today. We're going to start at Romans eight eighteen. And Ephesians, I would say it's chapter 2, and I'm going to guess that it's going to be 1 through 15, but let me get there and give you the exact verses. Romans chapter 5, the whole chapter, it's like 21 verses. Ephesians 2, 1 through, uh, 1 through 15 is good. In fact, you can read the whole chapter. Let me change that. Because the rest of it, actually, the the part that we have to understand and we have to repent and we have to ask Christ by his power of dying on the cross to save our soul and 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 repent of of, of not accepting as one hundred percent necessary and one hundred percent sufficient uh, the sacrifice of his very life on the cross. To pay for our sin, uh, it actually goes, uh, in fact, I'll tell you, read all of chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 5 of Romans, understand, understand and pray for the conviction and understanding that you are born into sin. You will not go into the lake of fire for all eternity because of that. You will go because you did not, number one, repent, and number two, apply the cross of Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation. And the two go together. Acts 20.21 says it very clearly. 
repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without forgiveness of sin, there is no redemption and there is no salvation from the lake of fire for eternity. So I don't know how we could say that this topic, uh, I don't think any topic in the Bible is any more powerful, any stronger, any more valid than any other. The Holy Spirit inspired every word. But what you do and I do and every human being who ever lived on this earth after Adam and Eve, including Adam and Eve, what we've done with the cross of Christ. The Old Testament people were saved by the preaching of the gospel in the Old Testament. In fact, it says in the book of Genesis, the gospel was preached to Abraham when God made the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham in chapter 13, 15, 16, 17 uh, of the book of Revelation. In all those chapters, you have the Abrahamic covenant, and it does say that the new, the the cross, the gospel, the gospel, which is the same, it's synonymous to the cross of Christ. The gospel was preached to Abraham when God gave him the covenant that we call the Abrahamic covenant. You can read it, Genesis 13, there's a little there, 15, 16, 17, even some in 18, but you'll get the idea. So everybody in the Old Testament, it is a heresy of the modern church that the Jews never were given a chance. I've heard it. I've heard it in Bible studies and contemporary churches. Uh, the Jews were excluded from the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Holy Spirit. Nobody had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them as a temple. He did not make his temple in our individual bodies as he does since Christ died on the cross and paid for our sin. The Holy Spirit was guiding, convicting, and doing the same thing to the Old Testament people that he does today to New Testament believers. So the people in the Old Testament were saved by grace through faith in the coming Messiah, and we are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah who came 2,000 years ago. No added to, no subtractions from the cross of Christ. Okay, having said all that, I'm going to give you a phone number to call, and you can uh, make a comment or you can ask questions, whatever you care to do. And the number is uh, 319-527-6208, and you can call this number toll-free, from a landline or a cell phone anywhere in continental United States, and it is a free phone call. Outside of continental United States, I'm not going to speak. I don't know. Uh, and the only thing I'd ask is if you do call in, um, it would be nice if you could keep your comments or your questions uh, to the material we're going to cover which is Romans chapter 8, beginning on verse 18. Uh, but it's not mandatory. I mean, anything you bring up, I may even tell you that I, I just don't prepare to give you an answer, and I want to research it and call back in a week or so uh, next Sunday. But uh, any topic, uh, if it's biblical, is accepted. Now, I don't want to 
go through opinions of mine because I, 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 I'd rather not give them. Um, there's some things in the scripture, folks, that aren't addressed. So I'm not, I'm going to try to, I will avert those as far as giving you scripture. But anything that I, I can tie into biblical verses and biblical advice, biblical uh, wisdom, I will do my very best. So, but again, if it's on a topic other than the cross of Christ, that's okay. But for continuity, it would be nice if people would comment or question about the very topic on Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, describing the necessity of the cross of Christ. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and start then. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk, uh, and I'm going to talk about Romans chapter 8. And then after that, I'm going to go back to uh, the book of Genesis, where we're actually going to get in there and talk about the uh, uh, the application of, of of what the cross would have been and faith in the coming uh, event of the cross of Christ, uh, going back actually to an example of Genesis chapter 4. And then I'm going to take other verses that I've gone through in my study and selected that refer to salvation right back to the cross of Christ. So we're going to be on this for a while, but I want to finish out. Uh, We started in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I want to finish Romans chapter 8 because it is Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And they deal with the cross of Christ almost exclusively in every way you can imagine. So, Romans 8, 18. It says here, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That is a difficult thing to comprehend. Uh, We all, folks, go through times. We all all go through times that are difficult. We are, the moment you're born again, we are in a spiritual war, which you were never in before you were born again. You're born again. Before you're born again, let's take it before, in the time of birth. And I understand that babies can't make a decision. I'm saying from that time, You don't have to deal with the spirit nature and the conflict between the spirit nature and the flesh nature. The flesh nature is the nature we're born with that is contrary to law, contrary to everything that we have it in our DNA, every human being born, rebellion, uh, selfishness, and you can go on and on and on. As a gentleman named Warren Larson said, uh, and he uh, is a very, very uh, well-known uh, leader in the Jimmy Swaggart ministries, I, uh, ministries, I've heard him say, if you don't believe that we're born with a sin nature, take two babies, put them in a bathtub, and put uh, some toys in there, or one toy, and you'll see the sin nature, the rebellion, the selfishness. Uh, everything contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. 
you will see that occurring. And that's just a natural thing. The fruit of the Spirit here is uh, love, joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Let me read you in Galatians 5, uh, 19 through 21, what the works of the flesh are. Because we're comparing and contrasting the flesh against the spirit. Before you're born again, you have never had the flesh and the spirit battling with each other within you. You now, the moment you're born again, you fall into Galatians 5.17. The flesh lusts against the spirit. Wars, lust, whatever, however you want to phrase it. The spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do... You cannot do the things that you would. But if we are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Those are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Are they sin? Absolutely. They are works of sin, acts of sin. But they are a result of our, of our flesh nature, our sin nature, our carnal nature. And they are a result. These things that I just read, a big list of three different verses, they are a result of us walking according to the flesh, which is religion also. The flesh in the, in the spiritual sense in, Rome, in Paul's writing is not only meant the works of the flesh, such as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, emula, and all those that are mentioned in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, but it is also the nature in us to be religious, religious, religious. The nature of religion is sin nature, the fallen nature, the carnal nature, the flesh nature also is manifest and greatly bolstered and greatly motivated by religion. Religion offers no salvation guaranteed in any way, shape, or form. Religion, the doing of religious works, will earn you nothing as far as salvation or sanctification is concerned. Zero. Religion, the doing of religious works without repentance, and faith, repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ for Acts 20, 21 is useless. But the sin nature, the flesh nature, the flesh that lusts against the spirit of those who are born again, that's a nature you've never dealt with until you were born again. And you will now see that the flesh nature the moment that you decide or you're born again and you start, the, the enemy starts working on you, which he will do, 
He wants to rebel. He does not want to keep you from doing your good works. He wants us to revel in our good works. What he does not want is in 2 Timothy 1.9, the works that Jesus Christ predestined us to do if we followed him. It's before the earth was created. You can read second. In fact, I'll read, I'll read Ephesians 2.10, and then I'll read Ephesians uh, or, or 2 Timothy 1.9. Ephesians 2.10. Let me read 8.9 first. You are, by grace, you are saved through faith, not of your own works. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, verse 10 is a result of having repented and being born again by the Holy Spirit. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ is what happens between Ephesians 2.9 and Ephesians 2.10. Now, once you are truly born again, truly, we are in Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, referring back to God, created in Christ Jesus under good works. Created in Christ Jesus means through our faith in Christ alone. We now will have good works that God has ordained that we should walk in them. And then going to 2 Timothy 1.9, it tells you a little bit more about these good works that we are ordained uh, to do if we are walking in the Spirit. Now, a believer is the only one that has the option to walk in the flesh or the Spirit. An unbeliever doesn't have that option. Before you and I were born again, the best we could be is doing religious works without the Holy Spirit. We can still be religious, and you know that's true. Look at the religions in the world. Supposedly, I've heard two figures, that there's two and 4,000 religions in the world today. I don't know, but we know there's a lot of them. There's only one biblical Christianity, and biblical Christianity is all about us surrendering any desire or any uh, proclivity uh, to go back to religion as far as pleasing God. And we saw Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 5, where Paul just hyperventilated to the people about why have you begun in the spirit? And now you're going back to the flesh. In fact, let me read Galatians 3, 1 through 5 for you. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? The truth is Jesus Christ and him crucified, period. That's John 14, 6. Jesus Christ is the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you. You saw Christ crucified. This I would like to learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law and the works of the law or by faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, meaning being born again, the moment you're born again, you're now trying to be made perfect by obeying the flesh or walking in the flesh or by the flesh, which you're now starting to, rather than depend, you're only born again if your faith for your salvation is 100% in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, not only 100% necessary, but 100% sufficient. 
add nothing, subtract nothing. But the moment you're born again, remember Galatians 5.17 says that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. This starts off immediately when you're born again. I'm just bringing you up to the terminologies we're going to be using in Romans so regularly. Are you so foolish? Paul says in Galatians 3.3, you begun in the spirit the moment you were born again, and now you are trying to be made perfect by the flesh. And too many churches today, folks, I would say the great majority of biblical preaching and teaching is getting us to do something that depends on ourselves in addition to the cross of Christ. Total heresy and total hypocrisy, totally against the, the, the gospel of Christ. And listen to Paul. Read the whole book of Galatians. That's what it's about. He says, have you suffered? And this is to believers. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be in vain? In other words, you are in a position where you have now forgotten what really what saved your soul, and that is the cross of Christ, and you're trying to add good works to that. You can't do it. The good works will follow your salvation if you maintain your faith in Christ alone. And he says, if you suffered so many things in vain, of it be in vain, what does he mean by that? Let me read Hebrews 3.12 to you. And I know people are going to say, well, that can't happen. Then you, you, you got a debate. Mark this down and take that little piece of paperwork or whatever your notes are into eternity and you debate with the Holy Spirit who inspired every word in the scripture. I'm going to read you Hebrews 3.12. Take heed, brethren, written to the believers of Hebrews Church. Take heed, brethren, believers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So you don't depart from the living God unless you are with the living God, which is faith in Christ alone. You depart from the living God through unbelief. And that's what Paul's getting so upset with in the book of Galatians. Christ was crucified right among you, Hebrews 3.1. You answer the question, folks. You receive the Spirit. You know you've received it. You're true believers. This only I'd like to learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, meaning obeying the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun the Spirit, you're now being tried to be perfected by obeying the law by the flesh? He that ministers, the, he therefore that ministers to you the Holy Spirit, in verse 5 of Galatians 3, and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law, meaning because you're obeying the law, or because of the hearing of faith? That's rhetorical questions. But in Hebrews 3.12, he very clearly says here that we are made partakers. Uh, no, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in the party of the living God. So then we know they're born again. We know it because you can't depart from God if you are not with God. That just doesn't make any sense. How do we depart? It says in the Bible we can't lose our salvation. I don't know if it says that, but let's say it does. 
We can't lose it. I agree. We can't lose it. This is talking about getting to a condition where you're so trusting in religion, you're being born again, and the works of the flesh, which are warring against the spirit in Galatians 3, 7, 5, 17, that you are now trusting less and less in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and more and more in your religious observance. That is what means going back to the flesh, walking in the flesh, walking in the carnal nature, the sin nature, the sin nature, the carnal nature. Now, the result of all these, the works of the flesh, and let me remind you of this. Let's go to Galatians again and read 5, 19 through 21. These are the works of the flesh. These are the result of you becoming religious after being born again. And please read it and follow me. Don't just take it because Carl makes sense or because Carl said it. That is the basic problem that I see in modern Laodicea Christian churches where we want to take what somebody says and stop there. What somebody says, folks, first of all, you demand. You demand that they give you biblical verses when they make any kind of a statement. Why? Because, folks, your soul depends on decisions you make. And if you're not hearing the right, your decision is going to be flawed and not have a chance. So anytime you come on this and you listen to me or anyone else talk, the one thing I can't do to you is give you thoughts and ideas without giving you verses. Because those verses are going to be the thing that are going to cross the bridge and connect you to the Holy Spirit, who is going to be the one that will work in you until the time you're, you're, you're dead to remove you from these works of the flesh, remove you from the desire, remove you from the desire to go back to the temptation, etc. Remember, the worst part about the works of the flesh, they, the, the manifestation, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, if we can call it this way, is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings. These are the works of the flesh. This is the result of people who do not trust that Jesus Christ alone is any longer totally necessary and totally sufficient. Galatians is not talking about the ones like Matthew 7, 22 through 24, where they say, but Jesus, we taught in your synagogue. We healed people. We cast out demons. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And that is a judgment day, and you will depart into the lake of fire. That is a permanent, final. But the works of the flesh, the manifestation of the flesh, the flesh is anything that is added to Christ or subtracted from Christ being 100% necessary and 100% sufficient. Anything you add to, you eventually can get to Ephesians or Hebrews 3.12 that says, take heed, brethren. Once you allow that to manifest and continue in your life, you are running more and more every day the risk of what Paul is warning you not to have happen or allow to happen. Take heed, brethren, 
lest it be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And this happens to believers, or it wouldn't be in the it wouldn't be in the epistle. It'd make no sense to write that to a, an unbeliever. But we can't lose our salvation. We can't lose it. It's talking about departing from the living God through unbelief. And this is addressed to believers. Why do they do it? Read the book of Galatians again, especially chapter 3, 4, and 5, where Paul is telling them, you were born again. You are now going to listen to man who wants you to obey church laws, religious laws, their laws, or even telling you you're obeying the Ten Commandments is what saved your soul. This is happening, folks. I'll give you two different terms that refer to the same doctrine of demons and devils and and heresy and seducing spirits, the seeker-sensitive movement and the prosperity gospel. They are both part and parcel of the same thing where we're adding to Jesus Christ what we do. Anytime I think that even something biblically that's a good work, that that is, is necessary in addition to the cross of Christ, I am walking on very thin ice, which Paul is ranting and raving as I am here in Galatians chapter 3, 4, and 5 about. You've got to read these folks before you make a decision. I only want to be the one that's leading you to the scripture. You've got to read it. I'm going to do my very best to give you what I think are the highlights that you're going to see in it, but you will see it. You will see things I don't see. And that's just a normal common thing. You're going to see things two months, three months from now that you've read today that you never understood. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. But don't substitute what man's opinion are. Take the time, especially with me, and everything I say and do, you take the verses that I put and you demand that I give you verses. So you go back and read and make sure that this is what the Holy Spirit once said to you. We have become so far removed from biblical literacy. And the pastor of a church I go to now, right now, I don't go because I'm a Baptist. I don't go because I'm a member of the church. Uh, I don't go because of any programs. I go because this man, on Wednesday night, every other Wednesday night, I would say, since I've been going on Wednesday night to his Bible study, he does say that the modern church, and this is a pastor, not a not a wannabe like myself, not that I want to be a pastor. No, God didn't call me to that. He says, the current church, the modern church today, has made itself biblically illiterate. And this is what he is referring to. Don't make a statement, Carl. Don't lead people down a path without giving them the steps biblically that you followed to get to the conclusion. Followed anything but the Bible to get to a conclusion. And Carl, like Archie Bunker used to say, stifle. Call in sick today on the radio program until you have time to get with God and repent of your of your giving seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and devils 
that Second Timothy four one talks about. Having said all that, I guess now we're prepared to go back to Romans eight eighteen. I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm going to tell you, it's difficult. It's difficult. The war with the flesh and the spirit. It's difficult when you're on the dark side of a problem. It's very, it, it is very recognizable and it's great joy when you get through a problem that there was no solution for, no explainable solution of a problem. And you get to the point where you see God miraculously worked, and you know it. You know he's worked miraculously. You just are supercharged. You're almost saying to Satan, go ahead, boy, take another shot at me, because what you're going to mean to destroy me, God is going to mean to strengthen my faith in him and make you see and make me see your deception, your deceitfulness, and your evil even better. But when you're on the dark side of it, It is difficult to see. And these are the things he says, these sufferings of these present times, the things we're on the dark side of, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed to us. You know, there is very little explanation of the glory which will be revealed in us because it's, it's unlike some false preaching and teaching that we're going to be on, you know, we're going to be on streets of gold. I'm not saying we're not. But we can't describe. God has not made it clear to us what we're even going to see in heaven, what the rewards are going to be, what what we're going to be shown that we can't understand. Because why? We're going to get into this in verse 19 through 23. We are still in a fallen body. We still have a body which all of our senses are living under the curse of condemnation. Your soul, your spirit has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else added, nothing subtracted. But you still have a body that is subject to the corruption and the imperfections that we inherited from Adam and Eve when Eve and Adam fell In Genesis chapter 3, read chapter 3 in like 1 through 7, describing their their Eve being deceived and Adam sinning. That's why he says here that we can't even compare what's going to be revealed in us. The Bible does not say much about what it is going to be like in the new heaven and new earth. It does talk a little bit about the perfection of human life on this planet right now in the millennial reign. But very, very little about, it talks about some conditions we can recognize, uh, which will be splendor, splendorous in the new heaven and new earth, but very little about it because we are not, we're still in a fallen mind. Our senses are fallen. We don't have the capacity 
in this human body of even understanding the answers if, if God were to give them to us. So let me read verses 19 through 23. Even though you're born again and you're saved, this is the condition you are in. The earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That is manifestation of the sons of God is when Christ returns. Creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But we know that the whole creation, and this is where we're in, we're all in Romans chapter 8, and probably the man we call the best Christian ever wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he still penned it. We know the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. What's the first fruits of the Spirit? A, a Christ-likeness and resurrection from the dead. This is talking about us. But not only they who travail in pain will now, but ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. That is why there's many things that are up in the air and they're only suppositions of what man can intelligently or uh, or on their own mind try to come up with, folks. That we can come up with these things that even describe what the new heaven and new earth is really going to be. That's why I say very little about it. I, I will read about the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21, but I'm not going to make uh, statements about being on the streets of gold, even though it says that. And what we're going to be doing, I don't know. The new heaven and new earth, folks, is going to be, the, the new heaven that comes down is going to be, the new heaven is going to be something that's like 1,500-mile cubicle, a cube. It's going to be 1,500 miles long, high, and, and deep. What are we going to do in there? I don't know. People take one or two phrases like there is there and in the, in the millennial reign, the streets of gold. I'm not saying there's not. The point I'm making, God does not reveal so much. He's not, he reveals very little to us about Revelation 21. Why? We're in this fallen nature still, even as believers, of Romans 8, 19 through 23, where we could not understand if he, if he showed us or explained to us. It's another whole, it's like taking a dog and, and showing a dog a, a, an internal combustion engine or a jet engine or a computer. He's right there. He sees it. You can even do things. He doesn't even know it's doing anything. A dog is not made capable of the understanding. This is why we must die in order to go to heaven. Corruption 
our corrupt body, our corrupt mind. That we know in Romans verse uh, chapter 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which are the first fruits, have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is redemption, salvation, resurrection from the dead. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wet the redemption of our body. We're waiting for that. Anybody who's my age, I'm closer. Maybe now I'm about... uh, I'm a month, almost a month closer to 81 than I am 80. I'm telling you, even though I keep myself in good condition and I try to take care of myself, I do. And I have been for, oh, since probably 1991. Daily, unless I'm sick or, you know, something of that nature. Even now, I'm struggling. I hurt. I have soreness in all my main joints that I use continuously. I have muscles that are sore, muscles that are weak, body going downhill. You look at x-rays of the bones and you'll see from the time you were, let's say, 40, 50, even till now, when I'm now in my 80s, and you see the shrinkage. You also see the the bone density is getting less. We are dying physically. We must die physically in order to inherit the first fruits of the resurrection. And when we have, we are co-heirs with Christ. In fact, in, Galatia, in uh, Romans 8, 17, it's, or 8, 16, it says the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, we will be glorified together with him. We're joint heirs with Christ to everything he will inherit or will we'll have in the, more, in the new heaven and new earth. We will have. Doesn't mean we're like Christ as some group that calls themselves Christians, but it's not biblical Christianity, but we're all going to be like, we're going to have our own planet rule. No, 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 no. That's not biblically correct. What is biblically correct is we will be co-heirs. And we're going to have something here that he says we can't even understand. We're not capable of understanding if he were to tell us. Why? Why? Because of Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 23, we don't have the capacity, the mental, the physical, to even look at it and understand what we will the moment we die, where we're transformed into our new body and our new mind, our new intelligence. Then you will see this all. And this is where verse 18 is saying, The sufferings, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. All right. Hopefully 
I'm making this clear to you, but biblically, biblically, not because Carl has formed his opinion. I do form opinions, but only on what the scripture says. All right, we've read through verse 23, verse 24, and moving on. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? That's common sense. Where hope is what the operation of faith. We hope. There were people in Hebrews chapter, let me read Hebrews chapter 13 to you. In fact, let me read you some things in Hebrews chapter 11. I apologize. You're going to see what we're talking about here. I'm going to read Hebrews 11. Now I'm taking everything and I'm taking a fly here off a little detour uh, to further explain verse 24 of Romans 8. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is no longer hope, obviously. Faith is, is you're believing in something that you can't feel, touch, taste, or smell, or confirm with the senses. Like, let me read you the definition of faith. So what I'm going to read in chapter 11 of Hebrews is just a great explanation. Excuse me. It is an explanation that I see. It's a great exposition on what verse 24 and 25 are saying in Romans chapter 8. Again, 24, we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he have hope for it? Common sense, logical. But if we hope for what we do not, for what we see, if we hope for what we see, not then do we with patience wait for it. In other words, if you see it, you're not going to you're not going to wait for it patiently. But true hope is is faith. Faith is, let me read faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Think of that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's why I'm so much against people who stress nothing but signs and wonders. No. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, things you don't see, the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 4.18 and 5.7. Just bear with me. 2 Corinthians 4.18, I believe it is. Yes, it is. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, And how do you look at things you can't see? By faith. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Think of that. You see where this is fitting in? You see where this is fitting in right with Romans chapter 8, where we were reading verse 24 and 25? I'll read them again. We are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, he does not hope for. But if we hope for that which we see, 
then we do not wait for it with patience. You see where patience and faith are synonymous. One leads to the other. One is reinforced by the other. But if you all of a sudden see it, that's why, remember Jesus told Thomas, I think it was, you put your hand, it was, he put his hand, he said, put your hand into my into my wounds and, and look at my hands and put your hands into my uh, side and feel the wounds. And, the, and Thomas did it and he said, my Lord and my God, I believe that you are the, the son of, of God. And Jesus said to him, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, Thomas, blessed are you because you now see. And then he made a comment, but blessed are those in the future who have not seen and do not see who believe. And that is us. Those are the ones that we're talking about here in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. And also in Hebrews chapter 11, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by it what? Faith, faith, faith. The elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of the things which appear. Everything there is, every piece of anything worldly material that exists, folks, is made up of what? We know this from a high school science, made up of, of atoms and molecules, atoms combined in molecules. And they're made up of what? They're made up of nucleus, which is a gut. It has protons in it and it has neutrons. And then around the nucleus, the classical chemistry example of an atom is orbits containing two, four, four, two, four, and eight electrons as you move out. So we've got these electrons spinning around a nucleus of protons and neutrons. Everything is made of these basic building blocks, but we don't see them. That's just what he's saying here. You don't see that. Through faith, we understand in Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. He spoke them into existence so that the things which are seen are not made of things which appear. We believe that through faith. The whole the whole idea of chemistry is built on that. I was going to say inorganic chemistry, but all chemistry. Inorganic and organic chemistry. We can see that science is proved by the word of God. We see that. We believe it. Still going to go back and read 11 to show you The whole idea we're saved by hope, the hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we see, not, then do we with patience wait for it. I'm going to show you where the people, the Old Testament saints, the people in Hebrews chapter 11, those people were living strictly 
by faith in what they did not see, not what they saw. And to prepare us for that, Paul is giving us in true Hebrews 11.3. Don't think this strange, folks. Everything that you see is made of elements that you don't even, you can't see. Okay, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gift. And by it, he being dead, yet still speaks. That's a good one. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Why? Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and read them. God told the family of Adam and Eve that they are to offer a lamb of the flock under a year old, a year old, and they are to offer a lamb of the flock who is perfect inside and out. No spot, no blemish. He was examined, alive, and had no external spots or anything, any deformations or anything that would be interpreted as disease or sickness. No spot or blemish. This is referring to the coming Lamb of God, who Jesus Christ is, was, and always will be. The spotless Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. John 1, 14 and 29. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Cain worked. Cain worked diligently. He worked, but he did not offer to God the only sacrifice that would save his soul, and that is the Lamb of God and his faith in the Lamb. His faith is what he did. And here we have a perfect, we have in Cain and Abel the perfect play of religion against faith. Religion is Cain depending on anything he did, even good things. If I'm depending on my baptism by water to do anything that Christ left undone for salvation, I am offering the sacrifice of Cain. What I do, faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified, is 100% faith that you bring nothing to the table, nothing. And that's why they were to offer the lamb. That was symbolic of the coming Christ who would forgive all of our sins. It was, it was the God's way of showing people that he would provide a lamb of God. As Abraham said in Genesis, God will himself supply the lamb that can take away the sin of the world. So why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not, Abel's sacrifice was acknowledging total 100% necessity and dependence on forgiveness of sins on the lamb of God, on that lamb being perfect inside and out, not any perfection that he attained. As where Cain worked hard, sweat, worked, probably worked himself into, into exhaustion maybe muscular pain even, but he was depending on his good works to save his soul. 
Do you see the contradiction here? Or do you see the comparison between religion and faith in Christ only? Biblical Christianity, we have nothing to bring to the table. We can do nothing. We can think nothing. We can imagine nothing. In addition to Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why a great verse in the Bible for any of you to hear, pay attention to is 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, where Paul said, I determined. In other words, he didn't just one day wake up uh, at halftime uh, during a football game or let's say in the warm weather. He didn't just happen to get up during the seventh inning stretch where they saying, take me out to the ball game and make this decision. I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the only thing, folks, that the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, which was perfect, represented. Nothing in addition, nothing subtracted. It represented the perfect Jesus Christ defined in John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14 and verse 29. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You see where every one of us are given a choice. Even as a believer in Galatians, we have the choice of going back once we're truly born again through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. We're going back now into doing what Abel did, and that is trusting in our good works. You see where that is deadly? You see where we're putting ourselves in a position that we could end up destroying what we've worked for? And by work, that is a word that's used work. It doesn't mean that you physically work for it, but you have suffered. You've gone through all these things. Why go through them in vain? And 2 Corinthians, again, 4.18. Let me read it again. While we look not at things which are seen, but at that which is not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, with that, I want to go to five Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, and I want to read 5.7. We walk by faith, not by sight. You understand where that connects in here. So by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. And by it, he still, even though dead, speaks the truth. He's preaching the truth to us right now, Abel is, that the sufficiency, the 100% necessity and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and him crucified Add nothing to it, subtract nothing. Don't add water baptism to it. Don't add increased prayer life. Don't add increased scripture. What do you mean? Your increased scripture reading and interest and comprehension and your increased prayer life will be fruits of the Spirit. They will not be what gets you to salvation. Big difference. Big difference. Difference of heaven and hell, night and day. Verse 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And he was not found because God translated him. 
Before his translation, he had this testimony. He pleased God. How did he please God? Because it says in the Bible that by faith he walked with God. We are walking with God. Are we trusting in only God? Are we trusting in only what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died for us? No power of our own. No ability to do anything on my own to add to what Christ has not done. When I say that I have to be baptized by water, that I have to go to purgatory, that I have to do anything in addition to my faith in the perfect sacrifice that Abel in 11.4 of Hebrews offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Are you adding anything? If you are, stop. I was. I know I did. It's a natural thing. Galatians 5.17. The moment you're born again, you now have the battle between the spirit and the flesh. In fact, if you're not in that spiritual warfare, I'm going to make a statement that is only an opinion. You better check yourself. Perk 2 Corinthians 13.5. Are you truly born again? Because it's a guarantee. It's not just the 99 and 44, 100% probability. It's a 100% guarantee that you're going to have this battle between the desire for you to do good. You're saved by Abel's belief in the sacrifice of Abel that he offered. But now once you're saved, Paul is saying in Galatians, you're going back to the sacrifice of Cain. And you're living that way. And he says, no, because if if brought out to the end, you could end up falling into Hebrews 3.12, where you now depart from the living God because you no longer even believe in the sacrifice that saved your soul. Read Hebrews 3.12, please. Don't take what anybody, including me, says. Read it. Prayerfully ask God. Without faith, Hebrews 11, 6. Let me read you this. Without faith, and we're talking about the faith that is defined in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was a man who in Philippians chapter 2 and 3, Philippians chapter 3, basically was saying that he was perfect according to the law. According to righteousness, Paul called himself According to righteousness, which comes by the law, he was blameless. Let me go back to that in Philippians. Yeah, Philippians 3, 4. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, means his own ability. If any man thinketh that he has whereof that he might trust in his own flesh, I have more confidence. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As far as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which by is by obeying the law, I was blameless. 3.6. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, meaning by obeying the law, 
He was blameless. I can't say that in my most religious day. Yet he says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, in verse 8, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung. This is not me being inappropriate. The new King James, the King James, the King James Version, but I count all things but dung, D-U-N-G, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Now remember, in sex, he says, I had a righteousness by obeying the law that was blameless. Verse 9, he says, and everything was lost for the benefit of knowing Christ. And now I know Christ, I'm found in him, Christ not having my own righteousness. See, that's what what Cain wanted. He wanted to have his own righteousness rather than what Abel did, and that is sacrifice the perfect lamb who had no spot or blemish, referring to the coming of Jesus Christ who never committed a sin, never did anything wrong, fulfilled the Old Testament perfection, and it's because of your faith in what he's done as opposed to self-righteousness. But we're back to verse now, 9 of Philippians 3. Be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, meaning by obeying the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God is my faith in Christ. You can't get away from it. You can explain it away. You can tell people they've got to complete the cycle of, bat- of, of salvation by being baptized with water, but it's just as much as a heresy, a, a seducing spirit, or a doctrine of demons and devils is when you've got to go to purgatory to pay for the suffer, to pay penalty of your sin. That's saying Christ didn't do enough. You want to be in that category. And verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith you cannot please God. It says verbatim, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This does not come by osmosis. It does not come because you go to church once a week. It does not come because you do random acts of kindness on your own. Some of the greatest self-proclaimed atheists are are very, very, they are great benefactors. They do a lot of good work for people, and they claim to be atheists. The one that I, I can tell you that I've even read the man's own statements about his animosity towards the creator God is the man Ted Turner who used to own the Atlanta Braves and started the the cable news network, I believe. And yeah, he did. Ted Turner was a tremendously gracious man, did a lot of great things for people. And he stated for personal reasons that had to do with his sister dying, which he'd been implored by prayer God not to allow to happen. And he said he, to the effect, 
that when that happened, his sister died, he no longer believes in a God. But he is a very, a very, he's a, he, he, he does a lot of things to benefit a lot of people, not only financial, but in other ways. Don't mix these up, folks, with the work of a flesh, which is Abel, arcane. Abel did nothing but trust in the perfect Lamb of God who was the coming Jesus Christ that was preached in the Old Testament. Well, Christ was never preached in the Old Testament. I beg your pardon. The Bible clearly states that through Abraham, to Abraham, God did preach the gospel to Abraham. And Abraham was what? 2,500 years before Christ? The gospel was preached to Abraham. In fact, let me read that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I'll read 6, 7, and 8. And I want you to mark this down for those who say the gospel was never preached in the Old Testament. Even as Abraham believed God, Galatians 3, 6, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not that he had righteous works. Before the righteous works, the truly righteous works, to be righteous. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. His works did not account for righteousness. They were a result of his righteousness. His righteousness, the righteousness which is of God, we read in Philippians 3, 9, is faith in Jesus Christ. Your righteousness is only one thing, faith in Christ. Now, once that's in place, we talked in the beginning of the problem, the good works in Ephesians 2.10 follow salvation in Ephesians 2.8.9. The good works that we're zealous of in Titus 2.14 follow Titus 2.11. The grace of God for salvation has appeared to every man. The good works. The good works in Titus or in Second Timothy one nine that were preordained we would do if we followed Christ alone. Titus chapter three verses five through seven tell us that it let me read it to you. The good works. Okay. But after the kindness and love of our God and Savior towards men appeared not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he set on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we are made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is a faithful saying, Titus 3.8. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, constantly, that they which have believed in God may be careful to maintain the good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Read your scripture. Don't listen to anybody like me just spout things off. And if we spout them off, you tell them you want to know. Demand it. 
I want to know where that comes from in the Bible. I want to make sure, Carl, that you're not just cherry-picking to make the Bible say what you want it to say. In the past, I've given you examples of parts of verses that are quoted. And if you only give that one part, it says a totally different thing than the context of the chapter. Don't let will play those games with you. That's what First Timothy 4.1 talks about. In the latter days, the Spirit expressly, expressly states that some will depart from the faith, some in the church, and they will preach to you through seducing spirits, preaching doctrines of demons and devils. Read your scripture. The danger is in the church. The church is where the doctrines of demons and devils are being preached. David Wilkerson, and I, I don't know if it was his, his end time warning of one of his sermons he did that's on YouTube. He said, if you're not saying, if you're saying that those things are not appearing in our church, he says, you're telling me as a pastor I'm not doing his job. And he says something that was very interesting to me because I sort of gulped at that. He said, if we're doing our job and I'm doing my job of attacking the kingdom of darkness by leading people to Christ alone and nothing they do, he says, these things are going to have to happen. He says, the people are preaching false doctrine, preaching false security, preaching salvation by good works. He says, they're not going to have any of this uphill battle that we have with doctrines of demons and devils infiltrating. That's David Wilkerson, who is one of the few. There's probably, I don't know, a half a dozen to ten that I really think are very high quality. Now, you got to factor in, I've not heard everybody. So of who I've heard, I, I, I have great admiration in, in a few of them. Jimmy Swaggart is one. Dr. David Jeremiah is another. Even though they're, they're, on the, well, they're on polar opposites as far as the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. But biblically, they are accurate. I don't agree with things that I was sure of three years ago. Up till I was 77 years old, I was convinced of things, but now I see there was a fallacy in them. I don't agree with even what I've said two, three years ago, maybe even a year ago on some things. So I don't judge a man by if I agree with everything he says, but I do judge him on biblical integrity and biblical literacy. There are some things that Dr. David Jeremiah and Jimmy Swaggart, I don't see the way they do. But there is nothing that's fundamental to the faith that they either lack biblical integrity or that they, uh, or they are programming me for biblical illiteracy. Both of them have one thing in common. Yes, Jimmy Swaggart and David Jeremiah, Go to the scripture. Go to the scripture. Some other ones were A.W. Pink. There's a J.C. Ryle, R-Y-L-E, who was years ago. Spurgeon. David Wilkerson. That man died about 
12 years ago, I'm going to guess. David Wilkerson, maybe 10, 12 years ago, was killed in a, in a, when a semi hit him head on. He was very biblically literate. He made us biblically literate. He did not give cherry parts of verses to get you to open your wallet. He led you to Jesus Christ and Christ crucified alone. Now I'm going to finish here with what we were talking about in Romans chapter 8, where we were talking about Verse 23 and 24, uh, or 24 and 5, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for that what a man seeth, why does he hope for? And in verse 25, if we hope for what we see, not then do we wait with patience. Let me give you two verses that are good examples of this. Hebrews 11:13, talking about all of the old-time saints, Noah, Abraham, Noah, let's see who else, Sarah, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off and were persuaded by them and embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What were the promises? Promises of forgiveness of sin by trusting in the sacrificial lamb that the first two children of Abraham, of the family, was told because Abel, the second child of Adam and Eve, sacrificed a perfect, spotless, one-year-old lamb which was pointing towards the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would die for our sin and cleanse us from sin and take away the sin of the world. So he did not receive the promise on earth. None of them received the promise on earth. But they were persuaded by faith in what they did not see. You take Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you take this here in verse 11, 13 of Hebrews 11. They all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them far off, were persuaded of them and embraced them. And then Hebrews 11:6. without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible. Now, as we continue in Hebrews 11, it's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob again, Joseph, Moses, Moses. Here, Christ was never preached in the Old Testament, a heresy I heard in a church that I finally left. Let me read you verse 24 through 26 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he came to years, means he got older, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why Pharaoh? was not a believer. If anything, Pharaoh believed in many gods. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen to this with Moses. 
He esteemed the reproach of Jesus Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. And yet we will sit in a Bible study with three pastors, and I am guilty as charged. And they, everybody, nobody's made a peep as we for almost an hour talked about, in fact, the little the little phraseology we had, I'm not even going to mention it. No, I better not. That the Jews were not given the preaching that we have in the New Testament. And yet it says here, we read in Genesis, we read in Galatians chapter 3, that Abraham was preached the gospel when God made the Abrahamic covenant to him. We have here in Hebrews 11, 26, Moses esteemed the reproach of Jesus Christ, means suffering for Christ, of greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Let me read verse 39. Let me read more here. And, I, man, let's see how much time. I got about three minutes. I'm going to read you here um, verse 33, talking about the Old Testament saints. Through faith, they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. That means faith in the coming Messiah. Promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight. The armies of aliens, by faith, not by military power. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Others had the trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, and yet, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, being sawed in half. They were tempted, slain with a sword. They walked in goat and sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, being afflicted, being tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered by in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Now I want you to put this verse with Hebrews 11.1 and 11.13. I'm going to read 39. And these all have obtained a good report through faith, but had not received the promises. This This is totally, again, with 13 substantiating what 11.1 says. Faith is a substitute for the evidence of things not seen. God, in verse 40 of Hebrews 11, provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Folks, I want to, everything I've said today goes back to the starting point. You're repenting of your past life, your religiosity, your ability to your ability what you offer change sacrifices trusting on your abilities and your accomplishments and please turn to faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Okay, I'm gonna cut off now so I don't mess the people up who are coming after us. Uh I thank you folks and I will be back next week as far as I know and I appreciate your time. Have a good day.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.